Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. Father, we would be lost without your word. We would be lost without your message, without your revelation of yourself to us, without us knowing how it is that we have fallen um, into, into sin and have separated ourselves from you and deserve to be punished and don't deserve a relationship with you forever. But yet your overwhelming love has, has caused you to, to come to this earth and, and live and die for us on our behalf so that we can have a relationship with you forever. And Father, we are forever eternally grateful. And so, Father, we cherish your word. We cherish your revelation of yourself to us. And so, Father, I pray that as we study it this hour, that you would help us to, to understand it like we've never understood it before, to, to remember it as, as long as we live and to apply it to our lives. Father, help us to wrestle with the scriptures when it tells us things that are, are difficult or hard. And, Father, that we would understand that, that everything that you've given us, you've given us to, for our benefit so that we would have an eternal relationship with you. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So there's three main things I want to talk about today with Ezekiel. That we can die. Okay, but I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about spiritual death, as you'll know. All people sin and therefore spiritually die. All people. All people are guilty of sin and therefore the, the, the wages of sin is death. And Ezekiel makes that very clear. That you can not give your life and to, to God and die, or you can give over your life to God and live forever. And that's what he talks about. The fact that we can die, the fact that we all die, honestly, um, and that we are brought from dead, death to life in Jesus. Second, that we must keep watch. Not only keep watch for ourselves, but that we should keep watch for our neighbors. Um, and third, that if we persevere, we will have peace. And so these Old Testament prophets... I don't know if you've picked up on this, but these Old Testament prophets are typically pretty sad. Um, they're, they're rebuking Israel for, for being sinful, and they're telling them to repent, turn from sin, that God has promised that he will punish us, he will send us into exile if we don't repent, so just repent. Why not? Why not turn your life over to God and, and, and then receive the blessings of that covenant relationship and so usually when you're going through the prophets, they're really hard and, and being hard. And, and, and you just keep that in mind, um, that they're, they're, the prophets are begging the people to repent of their sins, to stop sinning and turn back to Christ, or to God, later fully revealed in Christ. So let's begin. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 20 through 32. Now, I want you to try to picture yourself as one of the people in Israel that Ezekiel was speaking to. So imagine he's speaking to you for the first time and listen what he has to say. He's a recognized prophet of God. They say, we, you know, they say in there that he come and listen to Ezekiel. He speaks God's words. And so you recognize that God has given you a message. It would be the same as if, 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 if a prophet were to come in here today, a recognized prophet of God, and they were to come in here today and tell you, God has specifically brought me a message to bring to you. How intently would you listen? And that's what I want you to do anytime you're reading the Scriptures and listening to the Scriptures. The person who sins is the one who will die. A son won't suffer punishment for the father's iniquity. And a father won't suffer punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous person will be on him, and the wickedness of the wicked person will be on him. But if the wicked person turns from all the sins he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is just and right, he will certainly live. He will not die. 
None of the transgressions he has committed will be held against him. He will live because of the righteousness he has practiced. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? This is the declaration of the Lord God. Instead, don't I take pleasure when he turns from his ways and lives? But when a righteous person turns from his righteousness and acts unjustly, committing the same detestable act do, will he live? None of the righteous acts he did will be remembered. He will die because of the treachery he is engaged in and the sin he has committed. But you say the Lord's way isn't fair. Now listen, house of Israel, is it my way that is unfair? Instead, isn't it your ways that are unfair? When a righteous person turns from his righteousness and acts unjustly, he will die for this. He will die because of the injustice he has committed. But if a wicked person turns from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he will preserve his life. He will certainly live because he thought it over and turned from all the transgressions he had committed. He will not die. But the house of Israel says, The Lord's way isn't fair. Is it my ways that are unfair, house of Israel? Instead, isn't it your ways that are unfair? Therefore, house of Israel, I will judge each one of you according to his ways. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your rebellious acts, so they will not become a sinful stumbling block to you. Throw off all the transgressions you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die, house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in anyone's death. This is the declaration of the Lord God. So repent and live. Let that sink in for a second. God has made it very clear. If you live a wicked life, rebellion against me, not submitting to me, not worshiping me, but then you decide to repent and turn from your sins and turn to me, he said, I'll forgive you. You'll live. You will live forever. You will pres preserve your life. You will be saved. But if you live an upstanding life, a righteous life, if you say you follow me and you, and you walk in my ways and perform my sacrifices and, and do all the things that I've asked you to do, but then later turn and start living a wicked life, you're going to die. Plain and simple. He said, all of your righteousness will not be remembered. And so the, who does that offend? It offends those who feel like they've lived a good life for a long time and therefore deserve to, uh, how, do, how, do, how do we sugarcoat it and say it? Backslide a little bit. Right? I've lived a good life my whole life. I can say whatever I want now. I can treat people how I want now. And God said, mm -mm. it's not going to work. He said, but here's my desire. My desire is that none of you die. You want to know where God's heart is? God's heart is that no one dies, that no one is condemned, that no one goes to hell. He said, that's my desire. So I've made it easy. I've made it easy. Turn from your wicked ways and serve me. Live your life for me. Give your life to me. He said, it's got to be real. 
You can't go through the motions of doing all the right things. We say it in other ways all the time. We say, well, you know, people sit on church pews Sunday in, Sunday out, and they're not saved. We say people go through checking the boxes, going through the motions, but they never, they're not saved. They never give their life to Christ. And it's true. It's the exact same thing that Ezekiel is trying to waken up the people of Israel to. It doesn't matter how good you are. Jesus made that clear to us. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. It doesn't matter how good you are. You can't be good enough. No one lives and in, in, inherits eternal life because they're good enough. He said there's two types of people. People who surrender themselves to me as their God and people who don't. John talks about in 1 John that there were many among us, meaning in the church, New Testament, in the church. He said there were many among us who went out from us so that we could know that they were never really among us is what he says. That there are those who were in the church, professing believers, professing Christ, who then later went out abandoning Christ, and John says they were never really a part of the church. They were never really saved. That's what it tells us. This idea of the perseverance of the saints. This idea that if you are saved, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, who gives you a new heart, who changes, gives the spirit that comes to live in you, that new spirit that comes to live in you, that you, as born again, will persevere to the end. That's a doctrine that we hold to. That you will persevere to the end. And that those who do not, who turn their back on Christ, were never really had the Holy Spirit to begin with. They were never really born again. They were never really had a new spirit that way, therefore, they were, that way we would know they were never really among us, as John would say it. You don't hear this very often. Perseverance of the saints. Nobody preaches on this. Doesn't mean that you can be saved and be lost. That's not what John says. That's not what we're saying. It means if you're born again, you will not turn your back on Christ. If you have the Holy Spirit of God in you with a new heart and a new spirit made into a new creation, you will persevere to the end. Therefore, we know that those who do not were never born again. So Ezekiel is clear. There are those who will live wicked lives and will give their life to God and surrender to Him and they will be saved. There were those who will live a righteous life following the commands, following the law, but they will live wickedly and none of their righteousness counts. doesn't help them. And God says they won't enter my kingdom. In the same way that Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. And then many will say to me, but Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we perform many miracles in your name? Didn't we do signs and wonders in your name? And I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Jesus makes a clear distinction that those who profess Lord, only the ones who submit to Him as Lord, know Him. You can profess Him as Lord, but if you never submit to Him as your Lord, you don't, you don't know Him. You don't have a relationship with Him. So he says, get yourselves a new heart. Let me see if I can go back. He says, throw off all the transgressions you have committed 
and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. How do you do that? I mean, isn't that the plague of the people from beginning, uh, from Adam and Eve on? How do I get a new heart? Because Paul said, I don't do what I want to do, I do the things I hate. How do I get a new heart? How do I get a new spirit? He said he will give us one. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 28 says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you. And here's the, here's the key. This is where the perseverance of the saints is. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to, faith, to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. If you have the Holy Spirit within you, you will have a driving force that will drive you to never turn your back on God. That you want to obey. You want to do what's right. You want to follow Him. And those of you who have been born again, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't have it within you to not want to please God. You don't have it within you to not want to follow Him and, 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 be, and Him be proud of you. That's what you want. Because you've got a new spirit within you. And then he goes on to talk about, God tells Ezekiel here, now this is God speaking to Ezekiel, God tells Ezekiel that Ezekiel is a watchman, and therefore, so are we. He said in Ezekiel 33, 1-20, The word of the Lord came to me. A son of man, speak to your people and tell them, this is God speaking to Ezekiel, Speak to your people and tell them, Suppose I bring the sword against a land, and the people of that land select a man from among them, appointing him as their watchman. So I know this may be hard to picture, but I think you can do it. You live in a walled city, Jerusalem. You live in a city, it's got walls. You're always afraid that there will be another nation who will come against you and attack you. So what do you do? You set up watchmen on top of the walls to look out all during the day and all during the night to always be watching for an enemy army on its way. Suppose you appoint him as their watchman. And suppose he sees the sword coming against the land. So now you have a watchman on the wall and he sees an army coming. He sees the sword coming against the land and he blows his trumpet to warn the people. Then... If anyone hears the sword of the trumpet but ignores the warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his death will be his own fault. As long as the watchman warns them, then if they die and don't heed the watchman's warning, their death will be their own fault. Since he heard the sound of the trumpet but ignored the warning, his death is his own fault. If he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. However, Suppose the watchman sees the sword coming but doesn't blow the trumpet. And that's us. We see someone who's lost but we don't blow the alarm. We don't warn them that, that death is coming their way. So that the people aren't warned. And the sword comes and takes away their lives. This is the interesting part. You ready? Then they have been taken away because of their iniquity. It's still not the watchman's fault that they are condemned to hell. 
they're still condemned to hell because of their own sins. But, God says, I will hold the watchmen accountable for their blood. That's us. If you don't warn someone about death and life in Christ, they will still die in the, because of their own sins, not because you didn't warn them. But even as New Testament Christians, God will hold you accountable for not warning them. I don't know about y'all, but that has got, shakes me thinking about people in my past. That I cared about my friendship with them, so I never said anything that I knew would offend them about Christ because I didn't want to upset them. I didn't want to lose that friendship. <clears throat> As for you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my mouth, give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked, now pay attention. If God says to the wicked, wicked one, you will surely die. But you do not speak out to warn him about his way. That wicked person will die for his iniquity, yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. But if you warn a wicked person to turn from his way, and he doesn't turn from it, he will die for his iniquity, but you will have rescued yourself. These are the terms God uses talking to us. He will hold you accountable, or you will rescue yourself. And God is not into scare tactics. That's the point I, I, just, I just want people to get. And that's what people, I, I feel like so many people read the scriptures and that's how they treat the scriptures. Ah, he don't mean it. He's just trying to scare us so we'll do it. They won't say it out loud, but that's how they act. I read it, but I don't believe it. He don't mean that. He don't mean that. And I'm telling you, if you ever take the stance, God don't mean that. You are in dangerous territory. Because I believe without a shadow of my, a doubt that God said what he meant and he meant what he said. Period. And if we don't like what he said, then we just don't like what he said. It doesn't mean we don't obey it and it doesn't mean we don't believe it. He said, you will have rescued yourself. Now as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel... You have said this. Now this is what God is telling Ezekiel to tell Israel that Israel has said. Just clear that up. You have said this. Our transgressions and our sins are heavy on us and we are wasting away because of them. How then we survive? This is the exact same as the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2 where he preaches at Pentecost and he preaches to the people and then they respond to Peter and say, Brothers, what must we do to be saved? And that's exactly what he says. If, if, if you preach the message, Ezekiel, to the people in Israel, if you preach them and tell them that they're going to die because of their sins, if they respond and say, my sins are heavy on me, I'm wasting away because of them, how can I survive? How can I be saved? He said, tell them, as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person should turn from his way and live. Repent. Repent of your evil ways. Why will you die, house of Israel? What, is, what was Ezekiel commanded to tell the Israelites if they wanted to know how to be saved? Repent. Repent. 
What did Jesus go around preaching in the New Testament? Repent. What did Paul go around preaching? Repent. What did the Apostle Peter go around preaching? Repent. When the exact same thing in Acts chapter 2, you can look it up. Acts chapter 2, I think it's in verse 40 something. I don't, I'm not sure. But end of, toward the end of Acts chapter 2, they say, Brothers, what must we do to be saved? And, and, and Peter's exact words are, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And what is Ezekiel's message? Repent, place your faith in God, and you will be saved, and you will be given a new heart and a spirit. The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. They are preaching the exact same message. Why is Peter preaching this message? Because these are the scriptures that Peter was studying in to know how to have a relationship with God. And the message that Jesus brought did not conflict with the message that the Holy Spirit had already given The message that Jesus brought coincided with the message that he had already given through the Holy Spirit. Who was it that I quoted? A.W. Tozer. Such a good quote. He said, the Holy Spirit is not going to tell you to do something that is going to conflict what he's already told you to do in the Scriptures. And I know that's not exact right, but that's in essence what he said. Turn from sin. Why? It's so simple. Sin is why you're going to die. Sin is why we're in trouble in the first place. So what's the simplest answer? Turn from it. Live for God. Because He's a loving and gracious and forgiving God. And He said, if you'll just live your life for me, I'll forgive you of all your sins. But if you abandon me and go to the world, then all your sins remain on you. He said, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That is God's heart. And I've heard it preached, and I can, I can name theologies. I'm probably not going to right now, although I don't see any reason why I shouldn't be able to name names and, and ideas because that's my job as your pastor, to guard the flock against false teaching. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with me standing up here in the pulpit and telling you this is false teaching that so-and-so teaches. So I'm not going to give you names today, but I've done it in the past and I will in the future. But there are theologies in the Baptist convention, Baptist theologies, that will teach you, and I know that most of you have heard it, that will teach you God does not love everyone. God only loves the elect. God only loves those that he will save. But the scripture never teaches that, and it teaches the opposite. God's will is that none would perish. None. God said, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why will you die, house of Israel? Repent and live. That's God's heart. So if you want to talk about, you know, election and and regeneration and all that, we can talk about that. But if you want to talk about God's heart, I think God's heart is clearly spelled out. God's heart is that none should perish that he loves the world. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. His love, he loves all people. He hates wickedness. He hates the hands and the feet of the wicked, the scripture says. So does that mean God can hate your feet and love you? It does. I know it sounds crazy, but the hands and the feet, that's the doings, the actions of wickedness. 
God hates when the people He loves acts wicked. Does that make sense? Can you love someone and be angry with them? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, you can. Does it mean you don't love them? No, it doesn't. Does it mean you'll still punish them and still be angry with them? Yes, you will. Here's my real question. Would you be angry with them if you did not love them? It's hard to be angry at someone you don't care anything about. Isn't it the people we love the most that we get upset with the most over the littlest of things? The people you love the most can hurt you the most. The people you love the most are the ones you get irritated with over things you don't get irritated with about people you could care less about. Because you don't care. I've said that many times, because I'm not the best husband in the world, but I'll just say it. You know, I've said it. And and it doesn't make it right, but it's still true. I didn't marry that person. I don't care if that's what they do. It's still not the right heart, because I should care how all people act. But the point is, the closer you are and the more you love someone, the more deeply you can be hurt by them and the more typically, quickly we get irritated with them. And it shouldn't be that way. We should have the most patience with them. We should have the most compassion with them. God loves you. And I want you to have no, more, no mistake about it. God loves you. And he desires earnestly for you and everybody you know to be saved. And he asks you to turn from sin and turn to him. That's what he asks you. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can't do that while openly sinning against him. That's not loving him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Is your love for him real? If your love for him is real, it will show by your actions. I didn't put it in here. First John tells us, what is love for God? Love for God is to obey his commands. That's what he says. You can't separate them. You cannot separate true, genuine love and allegiance to God from obedience. Now, does it mean you have to be perfect? Of course not. But a loving God is going to forgive you for not being perfect. But he's not going to forgive you for rejecting him. Plain and simple. Now, son of man, say to your people, the righteousness of the righteous person will not save him on the day of his transgression. Neither will the wickedness of the wicked person cause him to stumble on the day he turns from his wickedness. The righteous person won't be able to survive by his righteousness on the day he sins. When I tell the righteous person that he will surely live, and this is the part that's probably, that was the hardest for me to struggle with, and I'm sure if you really sat down and thought about it, it's going to be the hardest for you to grapple with. This is what he says. When I tell the righteous person that he will surely live, and we can see examples of that in the Mosaic Law. God said in the Mosaic Law, if you perform this sin, if you will come and perform this sacrifice, you will be forgiven. That's what he says. He he spells it out in the Mosaic Law. If you will do this, you will be forgiven. Those are the types of promises that the people were holding on to. He says, when I tell a righteous person, he will surely live. When God tells a righteous person, you will surely live. But then you trust in your righteousness and then act unjustly. Then none of your righteousness will be remembered. And you will die because of the injustice you have committed. That's hard. But it's true and it's what God said. But it's hard. Because what it means is, if we try to say, 
Well, I said the prayer, and I meant it. I came down, and I got baptized. I did the things Jesus told me to do. To be baptized. To profess Him as my Lord. But then I go off and live a sinful life. God says, you can't hold on to those promises. You can't hold on to those things where I said you do this and you'll live. You can't hold on to that. Because if you reject me, you've chosen to reject me. And I will honor your free will. In essence, that's what he's saying. I give you free will. You get to choose. But if you think you're going to play a sleight of hand on me, if you think you're going to deceive me, God, if you think you're going to trick me into saying, well, I did the thing I was supposed to do and I did this that I was supposed to do and therefore I can live how I want and don't have to worry about what's going to happen when I die. God said, not going to work. Not going to happen. You either want a relationship with me in which you're going to live for me or you don't. And I'm not going to let anybody try to pull the wool over my eyes and say, well, you know what? You got me. I did say that, didn't I? Even though you, you ultimately hate me and reject me. Okay, I'll give you eternal life. God said, I, I'm not. And he did the same thing to the priests in the Old Testament. He said, you come, perform your sacrifices, you do all the things I've required you to do, and told you that if you do these things, you'll live. You do them all, but your heart is not with me. Your heart is not for me. You go out and you perform lawlessness. Therefore, I don't accept your sacrifices. That's what he said. He said, and he will die because of the injustice he has committed. So when I tell the wicked person, you will surely die. How many verses have you read where God says, so-and-so will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So-and-so will die. So-and-so, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 10. Therefore, no, uh, do not be deceived. No adulterers, homosexuals, um, murderers, thieves, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. He said, do not be deceived. What does that mean? It means if you believe they will, you've been deceived. That's what it means. He said, if I tell them that they're going to die, but they repent of their sins, and does what is just and right, returns collateral, makes restitution for what he's stolen, and walks in the statutes of life without comp committing injustice, he will certainly live. He will not die. If I have told you you're going to die because of your sin, if you will turn from your sin, then you will not die. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 goes on to follow in verse 11. After he lists all these people who he says will not enter the kingdom of heaven, and if you believe they will enter the kingdom of heaven, you've been deceived. The very next verse, he says, of which you used to be. The same sins I just said, will not, these people will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. The exact same sins, those were the same people that you used to be. But you are washed, you are justified, you are cleansed by the blood of Christ. You turned from your sins, you got a new spirit, now you are saved. He will not, if he will certainly live, he will not die. None of the sins he committed will be held against him. He has done what is just and right. He will certainly live. But your people say, the Lord's way isn't fair, even though it is their own way that isn't fair. When a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, he will die for it. But if a wicked person turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he will live because of it. Yet you say the Lord's way isn't fair. I will judge each of you according to his ways, house of Israel. And he says, that's it. Every single person, 
I will judge you, you yourself by your own heart, your own decision to follow me and submit to me as your God and King as Lord or not. Let's not forget what he said earlier. Tell them, as I live, this is the direct declaration of the Lord God. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person should turn from his way and live. Repent, repent of your evil ways. Why will you die, house of Israel? So first point, we're in battle. We're in battle. And we can die as a casualty of war. Second point, we are watchmen. And we must warn. We must watch for ourselves, perseverance. We must keep watch on ourselves. But we must warn the others of the impending death to come. And third, if we persevere, we will have peace. We're in battle now, but we will have peace. Revelation 22, 1 through 5. How many are familiar with this? Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river. Oops. Down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, isn't that a promising thing to look forward to? That God will live in the city with us, that from His throne will flow a beautiful, clean, non polluted river and along the banks of that river on each side will be trees that will bear fruit for us to eat different fruit each month now that's a beautiful picture in revelation that john gave us where do you think that came from well at one it came from him being in the presence of god and seeing it for himself but it was true before he gave the revelation to john we read the exact same thing from ezekiel Ezekiel 47, verses 1 through 12. Then he brought me back to the entrance of the temple where he gave Ezekiel a vision. And there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Next, he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around the outside of the outer gate that faced east. There, there the water was trickling from the south gate. As the man went out east with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a third of a mile and led me through the water. It came up to my ankles. Then he measured off a third of a mile and led me through the water. It came up to my knees. He measured off another third of a mile and it led me through the water. It came up to my waist. You see this idea that the shallow end and deep end of the pool, you know, we didn't come up with that. God came up with that. That's how the river is going to flow out of the, out of the temple. Again, he measured off a third of a mile, and it was a river that I could not cross on foot. For the water had risen, it was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be crossed on foot. He asked me, do you see this, son of man? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I had returned, I saw a very large number of trees along both sides of the river bank. He said to me, this water flows out of the eastern region and goes down to the Arabah. When it enters the sea, the sea of foul water, the water of the sea becomes fresh. Every kind of living creature that swarms will live wherever the river flows. And there will be a huge number of fish because this water goes there. Since the water will become fresh, there will be life everywhere the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside it from Engedi to Engelim. 
These will become places where nets are spread out to dry. Their fish will consist of many different kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. Yet its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be left for salt. All kinds of trees providing fruit will grow along both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. Each month they will bear fresh fruit because the water comes from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be used for food and their leaves for medicine. John tells us the medicine of healing the nations. We, after Ezekiel tells what God has warned the people and, and, and condemned them and rebuked them and pleaded with them to turn from sin. He says, but look, God's got something planned for us that's just so beautiful. I've seen it. Ezekiel saw it. The Apostle John saw it. And it changed them. They saw the glory of God. They saw the presence of God. They saw what He has planned. And why does He have these good things planned? Because He loves you. He desires for you to turn from sin, to turn to Him, to be forgiven, to live with Him forever. You're in this life. It's difficult. It's tough. Why? Because you're in battle. You're in a warfare going on. You're in battle. Of course it's not easy. But I've won the war, God says. And one day I'm going to put an end to it, and you're going to get to live in peace. As long as you don't walk away from the battle. Don't walk away from me. Don't abandon me. Don't think you got some kind of get out of jail free card, therefore you can go and live your life apart from me. Give your life to me, God says. Surrender your life to me. Turn from sin, turn to him. He loves you. And that's the message that I, I pray that all of you have already embraced and the same message that we need to share as watchmen with those in our lives to rescue ourselves from being held accountable for their blood. Because God loves them and His Holy Spirit can work on them. And you may be afraid you're going to lose your relationship with them for a little while. You need to be afraid that they're going to lose their relationship with God forever. Warn them. Even if it means you'll never get to talk to them again the rest of your life. Sacrificing your friendship with them is worth sharing the only thing that can save them, the gospel message, by which the Holy Spirit will work to convict them. And their response to the Holy Spirit is out of your control. You can't control how they respond. But you can at least share the only message that allows them to be saved. Have you accepted that message yourself? Have you repented and turned from sin and made a commitment to live for God to be your Lord, your Master, to submit to Him? If so, you can rest assured that you are forgiven and that you have an eternal future awaiting you. That you have the Holy Spirit within you. And therefore, you have been called to be a disciple, to grow as a disciple, to make disciples, and to share that gospel message with those who are lost. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you. Father, we know the truth is that all of us are guilty of sin, and all of us do spiritually die. Father, we are in a battle, we are in a war, and that you have already came as victor. 
that you have provided a way to bring us back from death to life. As Ezekiel, you gave Ezekiel a vision of the dry bones, that you can make those bones live. You can take us who are dead and bring us to life. And so, Father, I, I pray that we will never turn our backs on you, that we will never give up and walk away from the faith, that we will love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength the rest of our life, and that we will warn others. Because this life is so short, and everybody has enough time, but such a short time, that we would share that gospel message with them so that they can heed that warning, that you would convict them through the Holy Spirit and that they could be saved, just like we are. Father, we thank you for your love. And Father, we also thank you for the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful future of peace you have in store for us, where we will live in your kingdom in peace, that we will eat at tables with peace and joy, that there will be no more sin and no more sorrow and pain. And we look forward to that day. But Father, keep us faithful and vigilant and steadfast in the time that we are here until that day that you call us home. Give us the spirit, the heart, the will, the desire to faithfully obey you and move your mission forward. We are here and and a result of those who have faithfully followed you in the past, who have spread your gospel message from the opposite side of the planet all the way to here today. We are recipients of their faithfulness. 